Hi everyone, happy Tuesday. My name is Jocelyn. I'm here with my husband, Matt, and a special guest. This is the Every Effort podcast where we are so blessed, a little stressed, and making every effort to figure out the rest. And today's guest I am very excited about because every single week when I confirm with Matt who we're interviewing, I keep asking, is it the communications guy? Is it him? Because we had a, a very cool like intro talk with him. His name is Jeff Bogazic. He has a PhD in rhetoric, which honestly is the first person I've met with that kind of degree. Uh, head of school at a Christian school, um, has a background in organizational communication, and is a host of his own podcast and blog called Mind for Life. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on, and I'm excited about our time together today. Yeah, we're so excited and just grateful for you taking the time. And I, I really like the intro Jocelyn gave, but you hear all those things. You hear PhD in rhetoric, head of school at a Christian school. You know, how would you kind of describe who Jeff is and what's important to you at this stage of life? Well, I would say that, th you know, those things are describing some qualifications that I've been fortunate to be able to work on over the time and, um, my job is in educational leadership, but I, I would describe myself as somebody uh, who just wants to help and educate people. Um, so I've been able to find opportunities to do that. That's something I'm passionate about. Um, if you were to break down like your personal mission statement for what you want to do is why do I feel like I'm here on the planet? Uh, I think that God has given me some gifts and some knowledge and things of interest that I'm passionate about. And really it's about investing in people. So uh, on the podcast that I host, I have an opportunity to do that. I get to write some thoughts on my blog and especially in my job, you know, I really have an opportunity to make an impact on the next generation. And it's not for me, it's not just about intellectual knowledge, but it's about developing a person to be able to have and live a great life. And so um, I'm married to a lovely lady. Lisa is my wife. We've been married now for 30 years um, and we've got three kids. My oldest is Jacob and he's about to embark on a mission trip to Dubai. Wow. So we're very excited about that for him. My middle uh, is Alyssa, and she is living in Lakeland, Florida, and working on her MBA. And then my youngest, Jesse, graduated from high school last year, and he just started college down at Southeastern University uh, in Lakeland as well. So that's a little bit. We've got a dog, Lucy. She's five pounds and a little shorty. So that's our family. <laughs> that's awesome. That Dubai mission trip sounds like a vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a long-term assignment. So he's going over there to learn language. He's going to be there for maybe seven to 10 months. Wow. Um, so he's really excited about it. And we're actually taking him to the airport tomorrow. So uh, it'll be a an exciting time, but a sad time as well, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome to hear. It sounds like you're surrounded by quite a diverse array of, of family members, the dogs included. Um, so how did you get into um, wanting to study rhetoric? How do you even hear about something like that? And um, how do you see that in your everyday life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I grew up going to church. You know, I was a church kid. Um, 
from my teenage years on, and I was always super interested in uh, the ability of an individual to get up in front of people and communicate effectively. You know, motivational speaking, preaching, um, public speaking was always just like an interest to me. You know, I was, I was, I thought it was kind of like a magic that people were be, were able to get up there and use their words and use their language and use their emotions and passion and really persuade and move and motivate an audience. Um, so I, I didn't even know really what that was. I just knew that I was interested in it from, you know, high school on. I went on to, uh, get a degree, uh, undergrad in pastoral studies. Uh, I felt God calling me into the ministry, and we went and were working at a church for years, uh, 30 years in ministry, you know, over the past, well, 30 years, 1992 is when we started. Um, and then halfway through, you know, about, I don't know, 2000, year 2000, I thought I'd like to continue my education, and I went back for a degree in leadership and liberal studies. And then, you know, I think probably five years, 10 years after that, um, I was thinking I need to go back and do something else. I wanted to go back. I, I love learning. Um, and I was wondering what I should do. And my wife said, well, why don't you call uh, Duquesne? That was where I got my um, master's degree and find out. I knew I didn't want to do anything in theology. I knew I didn't want to get like a... Um, a doctorate of ministry that wasn't of interest to me. I knew I didn't want to get a PhD in leadership at the time. And so I just called down to the school and I said, Hey, this is my background. Uh, what do people like me do <laughs> when they move on? And they said, maybe you'd be interested in the PhD in rhetoric. And I was like, I said, what is that? Right. I'd never heard of it. Um, and so really rhetoric is a short for, for short definition is really persuasive communication. And we do that every single day in every single person that we communicate with, be it our spouse, be it at work, be it at the grocery store. Uh, we are uh, using language, using nonverbals and facial expressions to accomplish an agenda or persuade someone or convince someone that something is the case, be it about ourselves, about the world around us, or about the things that we want. And so um, I got interested in that, and my degree really focused on three aspects of communication, the organizational communication. So the communication that happens within organizational structures. Uh, so businesses, nonprofits, any type of organization, there's communications and channels and how people work with each other and how communication facilitates those relationships. Uh, the second area of concentration for me was interpersonal communication. So how do we relate to an individual on an interpersonal basis. And then the third area of concentration for me was the rhetoric of technology. It's also known as media ecology. Um, and so that is really the conversation around technology. Uh, what is technology doing? How do we use it? How does it use us? 
And um, I have a great opportunity to be on the board of the Media Ecology Association and have served as the journal book review editor for our academic journal uh, explorations in media ecology. And so it's a great honor for me to be a part of what's going on there. And uh, if anybody wants to check that out, just Google Media Ecology Association and there's a bunch of information about that. So that's kind of like the short story of how that happens uh, and how I got into it. And it's just been super interesting for me. Wow. No, that sounds fascinating. And I, I feel like communication is one of those things that we do every single day, but still somehow falls outside the scope of skills that we really try to build. Like when I think of growth, it's rare that I think of, I want to become a better communicator, but if I was a better communicator, it would probably help in, in so many different areas. And one of the, the ones that stood out that you mentioned was really that um, interpersonal communication. And as you were talking about what rhetoric is, you use the word persuasive. And for me, so often, I think in, in our culture, we talk a lot about uh, not wanting to be manipulative or, you know, manipulating people is like a very um, hot topic thing right now. And people don't want to do that. And so what is kind of that line of how can you be persuasive without, you know, having that kind of malintent or, or trying to manipulate someone? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think the answer to that is in the term love. Um, if you love somebody and you start from a basis of, you know, w in the Christian tradition, we talk about agape love, that unconditional love, you know, that you have for somebody. So if you start from that basis, and that really means wanting the best for the other person more than what you want for yourself. Um, we all go through life, I think, with our own agendas, our own selfish wants and desires and needs. And really, unconditional love is taking those desires, wants, and needs that we have and putting those aside for the needs of someone else. And so, um, if you've ever read the essay, The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis, uh, in that essay, he talks about the glory, the inherent glory in a human being, um, that a human being, in, if we are Christians, we believe that a human is the only thing that is eternal in all of the universe, right? Planets will fade away. Buildings, organizations, universities, corporations, all of that's going to be gone the things that last into eternity is the human being in the soul and that we are to look at other human beings that in that light of they are eternal. They are made imago dei in the image of God. And they're there that demands a certain kind of respect and love and dignity. And so we persuade with manipulation when we just want to get what we want to get, right? When we want something, there are tricks and techniques and ways to use people's motivations um, to get the things that we want to get. But to do that and persuade people in a non-manipulative way is number one, starting, I would say, from the basis of unconditional love, that you love the other person. And then the other thing is, is... What I would say is you are trying to get from the other person what they truly, truly want. 
And if you're going to persuade someone in a non-manipulative way, you have to recognize that you may not be able to persuade them. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of our teachers uh, today, just today, came into the office and she's incredible. She's a wonderful teacher. And she came in today and she uh, told us that she is going to be taking another job uh, working in a, um, uh, in a ministry for her church. And she's fantastic. I mean, and so she she's coming into my office and I'm sitting with our principal. And there's ways that I can potentially put pressure on her or guilt trip her or use techniques to try to persuade her that she shouldn't go to that job, that she should stay with us. But ultimately, my job is to say, what is God calling you to do? We love you. We want you to be here. You're doing incredible work here. You know, I am making appeals to her values. I am making appeals to the importance that she has to the organization. I am making appeals to the things that she really, really wants to do in her life, you know, that she's being fulfilled and all of that. But ultimately, I'm not going to use those techniques to push her or pressure her into making decisions or choices that are outside of what God's calling her to do. So I don't know that you're always going to be successful persuading someone without manipulating them. If you're going to say, I'm coming from the basis of an unconditional love. And if you're going to say, um, I want the best for you. Um, and if you're going to say, you know, I want you to do what God's calling you to do. So, so that's how I approach it. Um, and I, you know, I think that's an eth- a question of ethics as well. Mm-hmm. What are you really trying to do and what kind of person are you? You know, there's, um, there's people that will use psychological pressure um, on people to get what they want. You know, there's a lot of talk now coming out about the Jeffrey Epstein tapes and things of that nature. And he was an individual that used psychological pressure and money and power to get people to do the things that he wants. That to me is a question of ethics. And if you are a certain type of a person, I think you have to kind of go into it saying, I'm going to give all of the appeals that I can within the ethics of it, but ultimately know that this person may choose to do something that I don't want them to do. So I don't know if I really completely answered the question, Matt, uh, because I'm not, I don't want to be a con man, you know, and you can persuade people. And I look at advertisers as con men. Hmm. Um, You know, when you hear a, a thing that says four out of five dentists surveyed said, you know, you kind of go, well, where is that data coming from? And you're using a rhetorical technique, right? The um, logos is what that would be, a an appeal to logic or and also ethos, an appeal to the credibility of the people that you're calling on to convince people that it's a good product for you or whatever. So a lot of the things that you see online – I think our lies, you know, when you see somebody that puts up a TikTok that says, I made $45,000 in the last six weeks, click the caption here and you can too. (laughs) Um, That to me is disingenuous and, uh, but you see it everywhere. So I think, you know, it's, it's got to come down to your own character and your own value system. Yeah, that's true. That social media is just flooded with people who are trying to persuade us 
And it's a matter of like, you really have to get down to like what their intention is, right? Like they're promoting trying to solve a problem for you, but they're also making money off of you believing that it can solve your problem. So if, if love going off of what you said, if love is the best way to be persuasive with someone, well, you also need to be okay with the outcome. How is it that people with selfish motives persuade so well? Like what, what are they using? Um, And can, can we learn from that example in order to benefit our good motives of persuasion? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's things that you can do that I think are within the realm of ethics. To take an example of clickbait, there are certain things that motivate human beings. Um, salacious details about celebrities, popular culture, the things that people are interested in. Uh, what are the interests? What are the desires? What are the passions of the person that you're talking to? And, you know, what is clickbait? They will put up a, a, a headline, a, you know, a blurb that kind of triggers those things that we naturally are drawn to. And different people are drawn to different things. You know, if you're a gamer, it's this. If you are a sports person, it's this. If you're interested in pop culture or music, it's this. Uh, If you like, you know, interior decorating, it's this. If you're into nutrition, which my wife is, she loves reading everything on nutrition. And so when she sees something on nutrition or something that's interesting to her, she's going to click on it. She's going to go towards it. And so I think one of the things that you can do is know the person that you're speaking with, uh, know what their interests and passions are, and then you can utilize those things in a good way um, to uh, to make an appeal towards whatever it is that you're trying to persuade them to do. So I don't want to say you just kind of say nothing because there was a discussion in one of my um, classes in my doctoral work, and the professor asked the question, is rhetoric everything or is rhetoric just some things? And it was an interesting discussion because most people, when they think of rhetoric, they just talk about political rhetoric and the rhetoric around you know, what the politician is saying about immigration or you know, that type of thing. But rhetoric is so much more. And Aristotle said uh, the definition that he gave was that rhetoric is using all and any available means of persuasion. So it is not just what you say, but it's images and video, if you want to use that, and appeals to the the ethos, appeals to the logos, appeals to the passions. And so when you're appealing to what people's likes are and their interests are and the things that you know that they want for their own welfare and well-being, and you are connecting what you're asking them to do to those things, that is a an appeal to pathos. And so the three areas of rhetoric that are typical in the rhetorical tradition are logos, which is a logical argument. And logos is the case when you prove something to be true. This is what happens in courtrooms when they're trying to persuade a jury. We're going to set up the evidence and we're going to tell you, 
you know, this is what happened and this is where the person was and this is what they did. And these are the other people we are going to put all of these proofs together to show you that it's true. Um, the second appeal is pathos, and that is an appeal to the emotion. Those are the things that you see on TV when someone says, if you use this toothpaste, all of these girls are going to like you. Or if you, you know, wear this T-shirt, you're going to become a star. Or if you just do all of these things, you know, that's an appeal to those things that we're passionate about. That's where you have like narratives and storytelling and all of those types of things. And then the last one is the uh, appeal from ethos. And that really is the credibility of the person that is making the appeal. So in your own relationship, you, uh, Jocelyn, are probably more likely to be persuaded by Matt than some stranger off the street because you know him, you trust him, you love him, you have history with him, as opposed to somebody that's just walking up. However, if a person walked up on the street and was an expert in whatever that field was or was an expert in whatever that area was and you know that matt was not and you would say hey matt this guy's a doctor and he <laughs> understands cancer and you know he's got all of these degrees and he does brain surgery and when he says this i think we should believe him you know and so you have a credibility for that type of, of person because of their ethos and that's their character and their credibility, you know, their competence, their credentials, all of those things kind of like set someone up as an expert. Um, and everybody's trying to be an expert anymore. You know, everybody wants to be a guru. What is a social media influencer? It's somebody out there who tells you that they're important, you know, and what what is it that convinces us that they're important? They have a lot of followers. They get a lot of views. A lot of people are listening to them. It doesn't matter if they've had any education necessarily. It doesn't matter if they've been to school or whatever, but they have a platform and a lot of people listen. And so that gives them influence. It gives them credibility. They call that social proof. Uh, when other people say you're good or you're an expert or an authority on a subject, then other people are more likely to be to believe you. And so social proof is also, if you would call it, an evidence of the ethos of an individual. And so I think that when you use those appeals in ethics, you can appeal to logical proofs. You can appeal to the credibility of yourself when you're trying to speak to someone. You know I've been truthful to you. You know I've been honest with you, you know, I have your best interest at heart when I'm telling you things, I'm not going to tell you something like that. But if you're a liar, and if you've told untruths, and you don't have credibility, and they don't trust you, you've broken, you're going to have a difficult time persuading them and then to appeal to the things that those people are passionate about. So those are the ways that you can persuade someone um, those are the best ways to persuade someone in the rhetorical tradition. And there's been a lot of research and development about that uh, moving forward, but it all goes really back to Aristotle. Wow. No, that's kind of uh, amazing to hear how far we've come, you know, just as a society and yet how right people had it, you know, so far in the past. And while it can feel like things are changing so much with technology and the advancement that it does come back to those, those three elements that you talked about. 
All right, that is where we will cut it off for part one. Thank you so much for joining the first part of this conversation. Please be sure to tune in next Tuesday at the Every Effort Podcast for part two. We'll see you then.